Good morning. Welcome to the FNL podcast. My name is Vicky Denton and I'm your host. Our guest today is Jeff Harmoning. Jeff is a senior program manager for API. He's with the Global Industry Services Group. Uh, he's in charge of the technical report that API recently released on lifecycle assessment for lubricants. So, uh, Jeff, I'd like to welcome you back to the show. This is your second time to guest with us. Um, it's been uh, a number of years. That was before the pandemic. So mm-hmm. uh, a lot has happened since then. You've come up with this report in May. Tell us a little bit about the background. What is this technical report from API? Well, Vicki, thanks again for having me. I really appreciate this, and I'm a big fan of the podcast as well. And thanks for having me come here to talk about the the, the recently published TR-1533. Just to answer your question, in terms of the background, uh, it was back in June of 2021 that API's Lubricants Group established a sustainability work group, and they were charged with gathering subject matter experts from basically all the contributors to the lubricant value chain. Um, and they, the subject matter expert groups, in turn marshaled their task force and uh, began to assemble the framework for TR 1533 that autumn of 2021. That subject matter expert group includes experts that are supplied by the oil marketers, the base oil manufacturers, the re-refiners, the additive technology companies, all of them shared in this effort. Thanks to their hard work and their dedication, uh, as well as a really rigorous meeting cadence, this group was able to prepare a draft for ballot with the API Lubricants Group um, in just about over a year. And that resulted, obviously, in the publication of Technical Report 1533 to API's Engine Oil website, which is accessible free of charge. Um, and that that took place in May of, of of this year. So it's been out there now for a couple of months. So the full title of the report, Jeff, is Lubricants Lifecycle Assessment in Carbon Footprinting, Methodology and Best Practice. Now, why is it a technical report and not a standard? Well, really, this group was working hard for about a year and at the time had a had amassed a, a, a 53 pages or so of information. Um, As you know, API standards development processes can take some time. So we felt that this was a significant breadth and depth of knowledge uh, contained in this report that we wanted to get it out as early as possible. Um, They had been working on it for a year. They could all use a nice little break too. So we published it as a technical report um, in May of 23 now they are getting back to the hard work of bringing in the next edition of this. Um, there is a uh, quite a bit of materials that still need to be worked on. Uh, this would include the uh, not only all of the commentary that came in from the balloting members, uh, the API members of the lubricants group, but we had plenty of comments from organizations outside of API as well that we want to incorporate to harmonize with other methodologies that are in publication and in uh, in particular in Europe, in Asia and other markets of the world. Uh, so with all of these comments, our uh, subject matter experts have a still have a lengthy task ahead of them to include 
other uh, these the, the outcomes of these comments, as well as you know, finish some of the things that were on the wish list as they were approaching the end of the first edition. So we've we've got a lot of work, and they are meeting, as a matter of fact, this week to kick off that work and get into what would ultimately end up being, uh, you know, a, a second edition to this or. Um, and, and the goal of that group is to take this thing to a full recommended practice or standard um, within the API standards list of impressive API standards that we have already. So you mentioned, Jeff, that you started working as a group in June 2021. The mm -hmm. first edition was published in May 2023. What were the difficulties in putting the report together? What would you say were the, the main, uh, I mean, I see this as groundbreaking because as far as I know, there's no such thing as a lubricants life cycle assessment anywhere in the world until this report came about. What were the difficulties that your group encountered? Well, I think the biggest difficulty was establishing who the subject matter experts were that were going to participate. You know, we started the work group in June of 2021, and then there was a little bit of time before each of the member companies and the participants supplied their subject matter experts. So we really kicked everything off in the fall of 2021. Um, and then in terms of a meeting cadence and schedule, they, they met for about 13 months before they got the draft finalized. And remember, we're talking about full life cycle analysis here. So there's a great deal of information that has to be considered, worked out in a consensus-based approach um, that this group, through their rigorous schedule, was able to pull together what we see today. And then because we, um, the way that we operate our standards, you know, this document needed to go through the overarching sustainability work group before it went into uh, the API ballot process. Um, this is a big document, the API ballot process. Um, uh, it went for ballot earlier this year. We had a 60-day ballot. Um, and then we had to deal with the myriad of comments that we received, not only from members, but also the liaison groups from other organizations around the world. Um, and so that's a, that's a process that takes time, um, as, as it would in any standards development um, uh, organization. Uh, the, the important thing to, the other the other important thing that this group was tasked with was pulling together a group of international liaisons um, to share information to give each other updates on where other parts of the world were at in this process so that they could harmonize to the best extent possible and reduce onerous um, requirements from one marketplace to another marketplace so this sustainability liaison group, it is it consists of a group of industry organizations that includes here from the states, you know, the ACC, the ILMAs, the NLGIs. From Europe, of course, it includes the ATLs, the UEILs, the ATC, VSI, and then in your neck of the woods, uh, Alia was a big uh, was a big contributor, um, and and other groups like the Australian Lubricants Association, all come together routinely every couple of months to harmonize, share information. And, uh, and again, try to minimize the onerous uh, requirements from one place to the next for our, you know, for our members, for the lubricants folks who are using these methodologies to answer their customers' questions and ultimately compete in the marketplace. This was a lot of effort, you know, and it was a, a threefold task for the sustainability group in addition 
to drafting TR-1533. So I, uh, I, I was really impressed at the speed uh, with which they were able to uh, produce TR-1533 as you see it today in, in really uh, that small window of, of time of, of, of 12 months, 13 months before we went to balloting. Yes, and I think we have to understand too that this was just one year into the pandemic. So people were working from home or, 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 you know, or maybe not working, uh, you know, was that, a, was that a particular challenge for, for the group that, you know, that you, we were in the midst of the pandemic? I think by June, when we really, uh, and late into the autumn, by the time our cadence really started ramping up, remember we were doing this all via teams, um, that, that makes it a very challenging process. You know, you've been involved in our API lubricants, lubricants group. You've seen the way that things work face to face. Imagine trying to do that, uh, you know, on a team setting. So yeah, there were some difficulties there. Um, but I'll say that really the, the, the timing, um, sort of, the most important thing about the timing was uh, the North American lubricants industry as, as sustainability reporting really evolved into this global mega trend over the course of the last couple of years. Um, there was a strong desire by our member companies, the North American lubricants industry to really nip in the bud and have a clearly defined consensus based document that, that captures the broadly accepted terminology and methodology for, you know, for life cycle analysis and product carbon footprinting. So um, it was the North American member companies of the API that really wanted to sit down and get this done. So we're, we felt that it was a natural fit for the API lubricants group to take up this task. And in turn, they created the, the work group and the subsequent subject matter expert task force to, to accomplish those goals. Give us some of the highlights of the report, Jeff. I'm looking at the table of contents here and um, a lot of terminologies, methodology recommendations, um, some of the things that you have to consider uh, when you're doing life cycle. Can you maybe give us some of the key points of this report for our audience? Absolutely, and appreciate their opportunity to do so. So the technical report... As you'll see, it, it, I think the, the, the three big things that it takes care of, or at least addresses, is really taking what was, you know, think back a few years ago, uh, a pretty confusing list of definitions. You know, this, uh, this being a mega trend, there are a lot of different terminologies out there. Uh, that have been um, that have been used, and it was really necessary, especially for uh, you know some of the smaller marketers who don't necessarily have a you know a sustainability person on staff to understand what these processes entail, what these what these terminologies entail. So this document goes a long way to define those terminologies. Then what it gets into, uh, certainly the, the meat and potatoes, is to discuss what the six stages of the lubricant life cycle are, um, all the way from raw materials uh, down to you know, end of life, and address each of those areas um, and give, uh, give good technical information and recommendations on how to address each of these areas as you uh, begin your own sustainability journey and, and trying to determine the carbon footprint of your own products. Um, the last thing that it does, uh, I think rather impressively, is it gathers, uh, in the appendix as a matter of fact, it gathers a, 
uh, a very long list of um, public publicly uh, available information that has been um, published by you know everybody from the uh, EPA here in the U.S. to the Gavi system, um, and and provides a good list of potential secondary resources for data uh, to assist again those companies who are just getting into this and may not have a dedicated, you know, subject matter expert. Um, so we published that list there. It's also available and in more real time on API's website where we offer API TR 1533 for free. You can look that up just by Googling API TR 1533. And I think it's pretty much one of the, the first, uh, you know, entry on there. So I encourage folks to go out and take a look at it, um, especially those that might be swimming in questions as they, uh, you know, work towards, uh, you know, determining their own individual product portfolios, um, carbon footprints. So Jeff, uh, API is a trade association primarily consisting of the largest uh, American companies that operate uh, in the upstream and downstream uh, part of the oil industry. And obviously here we're focused on lubricants, which is a tiny part of the oil and gas industry. What did API hope to achieve with this technical report when you set out? And did you achieve it at the end? Um, the only thing that we didn't achieve was getting it to a full recommended practice per API's guidelines. So in terms of what we were attempting to achieve was certainly to make these, uh, define these terminologies, provide a methodology and the recommendations within to, in turn, you know, sort of provide a uh, one-size-fits-all sort of guideline um, that we can use to, I'll use a word that everybody uses a lot, use a phrase that everybody uses, sort of level the playing field. You know, companies are going to be eventually competing if they're not already on these sustainability metrics, especially if their customers are asking for it. And it's important for this industry to have a recognized practice uh, that that everyone can follow so that you can have confidence as a customer to these folks, uh, you know, that you're that everybody's calculating it the same way that if you're specifically evaluating your business with a company solely on the product carbon footprints of their products, that everybody's calculating it the same way. So the goal was to release a full recommended practice, which would basically provide those guidelines. And because of the timing and because of the sheer amount of information and the need for these guys to get a break, we decided to put it out as a technical report first within API's practices and procedures. That technical report in a subsequent revision can be uh, moved in towards a full recommended practice or standard within API. And that's the goal for the next round here. So that's where we fell short, if you want to call it that. But we really wanted to get this information out to the industry, uh, you know, we we receive a lot of questions, and you know, incidentally, since this has been out there, you know, there are other parts of the industry that are now looking to this methodology as and and, and uh, you know, using it in, in say perhaps in terms of asphalt. You know, this is a resource. Uh, this is a resource that the member companies are are, are really in tune to. Uh, you know, at least using as a a, a playbook to help. Uh, find uh, and define sustainability and product carbon footprints for other other petrochemical products as well. And and in fact, in the report, you do 
talk a little bit about packaging materials, not just the components of a lubricant. So absolutely, that's um, an important part of it. Do you intend to take that further? Further in terms of defining the six stages of the lubricant life cycle, you know that that's pretty well set in stone. Um, the types of things that you know, this is a living document. Uh, API fifteen thirty three is a you know I will consider it a living document. Um, as I said a little bit earlier, we received a ton of valuable comments from industry members, uh, from from the lubricants group uh, uh, participants, and from the international community abroad. These are good suggestions. They contain, uh, you know, they're valuable suggestions. So we're going to incorporate these uh, into the document in the next revision. Um, but there are also some, uh, you know, wish list items that we still need to address uh, within the document itself. Um, some of these include, like, uh, we, we didn't include full example reporting forms, for instance. Um, we did not include a full work. There are working examples in there, but an end-to-end -end working example. So these are things that the group wanted to delay uh, until the next revision. So we'll be tackling those as well. And of course, the goal for the SMEs, uh, for the subject matter experts that are part of the task group that are, uh, you know, writing this, wrote this document, and will continue to improve it, is to issue this as a full recommended practice. So we're winding that up uh, and, and, and kicking that into high gear now that the document has been out there for about three months and has, has, has been in the public domain. Uh, we wanted to give these guys a little bit of a break as well. So we are cranking that up this week to begin, uh, you know, another rigorous cadence to pull together, uh, you know, uh, the improvements that we want to make to the document and hopefully release this as a recommended practice later in the year. Do you have a timeline, Jeff, when the recommended practice um, would be uh, ready for balloting or for public comments? Yeah, I mean, we don't have a, we're, we're just meeting this week to really kick off and level set the group for what this next version will entail. So we'll probably be establishing a timeline uh, during the meetings this week as a as a consensus group. Um, in my mind, you know, wishfully thinking, of course, I would like to say that we would be nearing, uh, you know, nearing something at the end of the year, but, uh, you know, uh, the best laid plans sometimes. So uh, our goal is to work as quickly as possible uh, over the course of the remainder of this year um, to uh, potentially get a ballot out sometime in the first quarter or second quarter of next year. I would suspect that that ballot would, uh, again, take just as long, maybe 30 or 60 day ballot, maybe a 30 day ballot in this case, because we're only modifying the document as opposed to having a brand new document. We felt two months was was appropriate for a first time, first edition standards review process. So we'll be looking to do that. We'll be inviting others for public comment when that when we get to a, a, a stage where we've got a draft. So again, wishfully thinking, I'd like to think that we would have a nice draft ready to go here, uh, you know, for a potential ballot sometime early next year. But, you know, it, it really is up to the availability of resources with the group and the, and the members that, uh, that will do, do the hard work here. You mentioned earlier that you work with an international liaison group. Mm -hmm. um, you have a working group that... Um, that works with different organizations in Europe and Asia. Um, what 
kind of inputs do you give them and vice versa? What's the purpose of this liaison group? Yeah, so a, a typical liaison group, and we'll be meeting for, I think, about our eighth time um, since its inception, is really to do just information sharing, things that, things of that nature. One of the things that we did was we opened up at the same time that we opened up our ballot. Uh, in fact, actually, probably a few days before uh, the ballot opened up, we provided the draft document to the members of the liaison group with the option for them to, um, you know, provide comments to us and a, and a deadline to do so within a, you know, by that 60 day deadline, because we take all the part of API's processes for standards development is to take any comments, not just from member companies, but from public comments as well, and address them before we, uh, before we determine whether a ballot passes or not. Um, so all of these were assembled, incorporated into the, into the draft. Um, and then, uh, you know, decisions were made around some of the comments to pass that off to the second edition, which we knew was going to fire up, you know, a few months after publication. Um, the other types of things like a typical sustainability liaison group will, will, will obviously contain a roundtable so that each of the organizations can update the, the other participants about what they may be working on, about what may, they may be dealing with from a regulatory perspective. Um, to share that information with our group um, for our, uh, you know, for our availabilities. And then I've actually had a wonderful time working with this group. I, 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 I can say I have not worked with such a, a, a diverse group of, of organizations that represent lubricants, uh, lubricants related companies from around the world. Um, they are, uh, you know, we're, we're actually, uh, you know, being asked to provide commentary on other projects that might be in the works, other standards that are in the works. Again, the, the goal of this group really is to ensure that uh, from one place to the next in the world that we've got a, uh, a not duplicating our efforts, so to speak, and also not imposing onerous requirements unless regulations required, of course, uh, that our marketers are going to have to deal with differently from, say, the North American marketplace to the European marketplace to the Asian marketplace as well. We want to minimize um, minimize the differences in in uh, in practice as best as possible, so that our member companies can, uh, you know, come up with timely, accurate product carbon footprints, lifecycle analyses that uh, you know that are uh, that may be valuable across marketplaces as opposed to doing it again in a separate process all over the world. Correct me if I'm wrong, Jeff. A lot of the sustainability work that's being done around the world right now are really driven by government regulations, right? Um, the technical report actually was silent on government regulations. Was this intentional not to have it in the appendix? Um, yeah, I mean, we—I don't think we normally include that sort of thing in the uh, in API standards. It might be a more of an API standards limitation, but yes, we don't address uh, any individual uh, regulations around uh, around the world um, in our standard. What we're doing in this—I keep calling it a standard; it's technical report. What we're doing in this technical report is, um, you know. Providing a, a definition, a consistent set of definitions and methodologies to help people through this. Um, and those subject matter experts are, of course, acutely aware of what the regulatory requirements are. Um, but again, 
This was developed by North American, uh, you know, lubricant manufacturers um, and 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 lubricant uh, supply, you know, uh, raw material suppliers. So we don't have uh, necessarily the uh, the same regulations that, uh, say, for instance, Europe does uh, at the time. So their their goal was not to focus on the regulatory side, but focus on providing a practice that everybody could use to sort of. Uh, level that playing field so everybody's numbers are are related, relative. Yeah, and and uh, you were talking about the ATL uh, slash UEIL sustainability guidelines. They were actually working maybe a, a little bit behind you, maybe by about a year or two than API. So I think their goal is to have something published in September of 2023. Um, could you comment a little bit on the difference between the API technical report on LCA and product carbon footprinting versus the one that ATL and UEIL are putting together for Europe? Yeah, um, they reached out to us, obviously, as liaisons in the liaison group um, to give API's group an opportunity to review their uh, documentation and, uh, you know, provide commentary, sort of, you know, returning the favor, so to speak, uh, because they did the same um, for us. And I am um, i wasn't as intently involved on that. I missed one of the subject matter expert meetings, but we were, we did prepare a, a, a nice uh, short list of, of our comments as a North American, indus- uh, you know, from the North American perspective. Um, and I'm not an expert at the differences yet. I haven't. I was not part of that process. But what I can tell you is um, the overwhelming sense that I get from the subject matter experts is that these documents line up very nicely. Again, you know, and I think that that is a, a credit to you know us working together, routinely meeting as liaisons to talk about uh, the important um, the important differences from one place to the other if they exist. And, uh, you know, I, I don't think that um, that there are any extremely onerous requirements in there that would require a company doing business in North America to do something completely different in in uh, the European marketplace to report their par- product carbon footprints. We're all we're all sort of following the same sort of uh, ISO provided definitions and and uh, and then in individually are or working on the uh, the specific methodologies behind how you do that. And they line up quite nicely, from my understanding. In North America, is there a reporting requirement uh, at this point to give your scope one, scope two, and scope three emissions to any organization, like maybe a state government or a federal government agency? Well, uh, that, that that's a little bit out of um, my uh, area of expertise. To my knowledge, I don't. I'm not aware that there are requirements in current regulations that 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 require this. But what I do know is that the original reason that we pulled this group together to to put together the technical report was because commer- primarily commercially driven because member companies and independent lubricant companies alike were being asked maybe on a uh, case by case basis to provide this maybe in a 
in a local municipality or in a, uh, you know, in a local, in a state or what have you, where they needed to report these. And uh, that's really what, what, what drove, uh, you know, our group to come together to, to pull this together was uh, making sure that everybody was operating on a, on a level playing field, not necessarily the regulatory side of things. Yeah, basically to be able to state for a company what the carbon footprint is of their lubricant product. Yes, and give confidence to their customers that that was calculated with sound science and methodology and 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 give them the extra confidence in the choices that they're making when choosing to work with company A or company B, uh, that everybody's reporting something that was developed, uh, you know, and, and, and produced in a, in a, in a similar manner. Uh, you know, you could, you could say that, uh, you know, at least at once, it, this was sort of a wild west area when, when people realized that these were questions that they could ask as part of trying to do business in lubricants. Um, you know, there was a need to make sure that we standardize this to the extent possible. And, um, you know, the technical report goes a long way to, to helping those folks uh, figure out how to do this for the first time. And, and well, I guess just a comment, the document, it looks like it's very technology neutral. You don't really recommend a particular approach versus another one, like mass balance versus something else. Yeah, well, we can't because we realize that there are realities from from place to place. Um, but at the same time, you know, there is a you know a, a recommended method of, of of calculating these numbers and, and a recommended unit that these numbers uh, need to be calculated. Um, you know, and essentially that's uh, you know mass by weight for carbon for each of these products. So um, to answer your question, yeah, it, there's there's variability and. Uh, you know, our documents basically uh, take what are the ISO 14040s and 44s and 14067s, you know, ISO documents that are, uh, and it, uh, which are frameworks for any company producing a product, and it hangs on that lubricant specific requirements. So that was the methodology that the group used to attack, uh, to attack this, uh, you know, this big issue of coming up with a, a you know, a technical report was to take what everybody's using, the ISO documents, and really hang those additional lubricant-specific requirements on them. Yeah, and, and just in contrast, though, although they didn't really produce a report like an extensive report like yours, the ATC, which represents the additive manufacturers in Europe, actually came out uh, lately to say that they're going to use the mass-balanced approach to make the level, the playing field level for all additive manufacturers in Europe. Um, it doesn't really, uh, how would you say it? There's really no conflict between what a, the, AP, the API technical report says and what they said, right? Yeah, that's right. And, and look, ATC has been an active participant in that lubricants, uh, you know, the API's lubricant sustainability group, you know, since the inception. Um, they certainly joined in providing valuable feedback uh, into our feedback loop for our ballot. Um, you know, I worked with Jackie quite closely at that time. Um, and, and yeah, I'm happy to say that uh, our two publications do align quite well. And, um, you know, having a complementary practice available that's specific to the additive industry, no doubt lends itself to more 
accurate and consistent sustainability reporting of a finished lubricant product overall. So I want to thank them and really all the liaison members for their time and their valuable feedback as we all strive to harmonize these practices and, uh, you know, sort of figure out how to how to do this in a in a level competitive playing field uh, well into the future. And there's more work to do. Yeah, certainly. And and it's a big first step, the first edition. Mm hmm. Yeah, it's the first time I've ever put a stand and helped as a staff member for API overseeing the meetings and whatnot. It was uh, very interesting to see one of these things come together completely, especially one so so large. You know, you've, you, you're familiar with API 1509 and, uh, uh, you know, I've been involved with API 1509 as well. This this was the first time I've taken one from end to end. And uh, it was just it was amazing to work not only with subject matter experts who, like I said, were meeting every two weeks or thereabouts, giving tons of their time into this effort, but then to see the outreach from from the the other members around the world that were interested in following along and providing feedback into the process as well. I, I'm 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 you know 100 confident that this is the, the 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 best version that we could put out at the time. Um, and we're really uh, cranking up now and, and, and ready to uh, take this to the next level in the second edition as we uh, begin our efforts here this week. Yeah, just for background, for people who are not familiar with API 1509, it's the engine oil licensing program or system of API, mm -hmm. which is actually a global program, not just an American program. Um, and you were in charge of the program before before. I guess before the pandemic, right? Um, before you took this on, so um, that was definitely way before your time, Jeff. Because uh, I think that's a document that goes back to the 1960s or something. Yeah, some version of it does. The modern day EOLCS licensing system, and incidentally, API 1509 also houses the uh, API specifications for engine oil performance, as well as the ILSAC specifications for engine oil performance. So it's. Uh, it's been an, uh, the modern version of that's been around since 93. And you've probably in the times that you've sat in in our meetings have seen, uh, well, we're up to 22, 22nd edition or so. So, yeah, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm proud to be a part of that. And, and I'm equally proud to have been a part of this 1533 effort as well. Um, we, we think this one will be around for a long time and we'll be in a constant state of improvement as well as the science uh, and the resources um, um, are, are, you know, continue to continue to change. Uh, we'll be updating that document frequently. How do you get the number fifteen thirty three? I mean, is it just like there, there's there's a technical report that's fifteen twenty, fifteen thirty two? Is that how APA numbers them? Yeah. So they gave us the fifteen hundreds in the engine oil side of things because we have API fifteen sixty, which are the uh, lubricant designations for gear oils and stuff like that. We've got API fifteen twenty five, which is bulk engine oil um, practices for handling and transportation and storage of fluids. So they just give us the the 1500s. Um, so if we come up with another document, you know, five years from now, it's going to be 1534 or something like that. It's really no more complex than that. But there is no 1532, right? Yeah, there, uh, there, there may have been in the past. That's why they assigned us 1533 was because I think back in the old days there was, and now they're, and they don't want to re reduce it, uh, reuse it. So uh, yeah, that's just one of the weird behind the scenes ways and, that you know we've got over 700 standards published right now so there's there's a lot of numbers already been used out there 
And when it becomes a recommended practice, it gets a different number, right? And a different name completely. Yeah, I think that we have some leeway there. It might turn into RP1533. I've asked that question of my own standards professionals here at the office, and I think uh, we can convert this thing into RP1533 and supersede all all previous iterations. And I think that's the goal that we're going to be shooting for. Yeah, well, Jeff, we really look forward to uh, hearing more about uh, what's next, um, you know, uh, future developments in TR 1533, thank you so much for your time. Really appreciate it. It's very early in the morning in Washington, D.C. Thank you for getting up for us so early. Absolutely. Uh, No mind at all. I get in here an hour before this thing started anyhow. So thank you for having me. Uh, Thank you for giving uh, me a few minutes of of, of time to spend with your podcast listeners. And I, I for one, even though I don't listen to my own podcasts, I will be listening to all the other podcasts. <laughs> Great. Th- thank you so much, Jeff. All right. Thanks, Vicki. Take care.